0: Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well, losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to RoeBody. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market.
1: everyone. I hope you are having a wonderful day or evening or night whenever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I got a great show for you today where I talk with Dr. Tara Well, and she is an associate professor of psychology at Columbia University and an expert on self-awareness, body image, self-compassion, emotional resilience, and meditation. And she has appeared on NBC Nightly News, quoted in the New York Times, Boston Globe, Washington Post, Vox, Vice, Forbes, Shape, Allure, and other media publications. And her blog on psychology today called The Clarity has over 1.5 million readers. And today we talk about her new book, Mirror Meditation. And we talk everything mirror meditation, what it is, and why it is valuable in improving your life individually and improving your relationships. And I'm excited about this because it's definitely something different. I've been wanting to really create a meditation practice, and I did some mirror reflection stuff years ago, just very briefly, but I found it really powerful. And just simply gazing at your own eyes into the mirror. There's a lot there, you know, I, I say it in the episode, but our eyes are the window to the soul. And to me, it's like a way to look deeply within ourselves and through specific exercises Tara is able to walk us through ways that this is help with more self compassion it can help us deal with our inner critic and so much more so I really love today's show as always thank you guys so much for tuning in if you've been listening to this show and you enjoy it we really appreciate those reviews on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening. If you could go in there and leave a review, that is always much appreciated. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Hi, Tara. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today.
2: Hi, Chase. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back.
1: Today, we're going to talk about mirror meditation. You got a new book on the technique, and it's all about a meditation technique that will help us be more self-reflective, among many other things. I'm really excited to talk to you about it. I thought a good place for us to start would be having you tell our listeners why you decided to write this book, and then we'll talk about what exactly mirror meditation is and how it can help.
2: Well, um, I've always had a fascination with mirrors. When I was a, a little girl, I used to um, look into the chrome toaster on our table uh, for as long as my parents would let me, basically. And I had so much fun looking at my reflection and, you know, just using it as a kind of like a toy to play with. And as I got older, I, I, developed a different uh, relationship with the mirror, which many, many people do, and especially young women, in that I used the mirror as a critic of my appearance. I use the mirror to scrutinize my appearance and compare it to, um, you know, fashion models and actresses on TV. And, you know, what I saw in the mirror never really seemed to quite measure up. And then one day I was um, just, you know, doing chores around my apartment, and I, I kind of glimpse of myself in the mirror. And I noticed that I looked kind of like sad and my face was kind of scrunched up and I hadn't realized I felt that way. So um, after that experience, I started to take some time to sit with myself in front of the mirror and think about what I was feeling. And and it became a very, very useful tool for me. I'd been doing yoga and meditation for uh, many years and I started to integrate the the mirror meditation into that um, practice, which is both a personal development practice and a spiritual practice. So um, I would sit in front of the mirror and I just discovered a lot of very interesting things that I found about myself, different emotions uh, and different ways of viewing myself that I hadn't really seen and that other people hadn't really reflected back to me. So I thought it was, you know, just so useful to me. I felt it had to be useful to other people, or at least I wanted to find out. So I did some mirror gazing experiments, in which I just had people come and uh, look at their own reflection in the mirror, um, uh, as as a uh, some initial pilot experiments and. It was amazing what people saw when they took the time to look and how many people had all these really interesting shifts in how they saw themselves, both their physical appearance and also just how they viewed themselves. They got some great insights into just the emotional tone of their relationship with themselves and through working with individuals, then I started to, to do mirror meditation sessions with people uh, in which I would guide them through the process and give them some homework and set them up with a daily practice for them to do, a daily kind of self-inquiry practice. And The book kind of grew out of that. Um, The book's full of uh, case studies of individuals that I've worked with. And also my research as a psychologist um, looking into some of the neuroscience behind what happens in our brains when we look at ourselves in the mirror, and also what happens when we look at each other in face-to-face contact. So it's not just about sitting alone in your room, gazing at yourself in the mirror, but it's about actually using the mirror uh, as an active inquiry and then taking that knowledge and experience and being able to bring it into relationships so that people are more able to be aware of the experience of being seen by others and what it's like to see them.
1: Thank you for that. So I'm super curious. I want to read the book. I encourage our listeners to read the book. Where would you tell someone to start? Let's say they haven't read the book, but they want to go down this path. What are some of the first steps that someone does in this process?
2: Well, one of the first things to do is, of course, I would love for you to buy the book, but also what you can do is just sit in front of a mirror with no goals, no agenda, no, you know, um, expectations with yourself for 10 minutes. If you can, if you can only sit for five or three, that's fine too, but with no goals other than to just be present with yourself and just be curious, uh, about the experience. Um, Mirror meditation is oftentimes more about listening than it is about talking. So there are some techniques out there that suggest that people um, do affirmations when they look in the mirror. And you could certainly do that. And it certainly does have a therapeutic benefit. But what I encourage people to do too, is to just get comfortable looking at themselves and just to be curious about uh, what kind of thoughts come to mind as they look. Because oftentimes, you know, we have a, most of us have a, an inner critic that is kind of relentless and it's always kind of looming in the background. So when we first look in the mirror, the, the first um, uh, uh, reaction is to start criticizing, finding things wrong with our appearance or, you know, maybe even seeing ourselves remind us of something we said that we wish we wouldn't have said or some goal that we have that we still haven't achieved or something. So it's really important to use the mirror as a way to Kind of intimately know yourself and those inner voices. Oftentimes, people will avoid looking at themselves in the mirror for an extended period of time because it brings up so much information about how they feel about themselves. And a lot of that is criticism. Uh, So they think by just avoiding looking at themselves that they can avoid the criticism, but it's always really looming in the background. So to start to just be curious. And to be kind, to be as kind as you can to yourself. Imagine, you know, your sounds a little cheesy or cliché to say, but imagine you're looking at your best friend. Because again, another one of those clichés is the longest relationship you'll have in your life is with yourself. So why not spend some time time with yourself?
1: I have done some practices in the past where I, I think I heard something on a podcast about just taking a moment to really stare deeply into your own eyes in the mirror. And I didn't make it a practice. And that's why I'm excited to talk to you to read the book and start. But I just remember it was really powerful to just really gaze into your own eyes. And like you said, like it sounds whatever, like a lot of people might prejudge that. I know I did. So just that act of, of doing it for 10 minutes, as you said, will bring up a lot of things. One of them being self-criticism, as you mentioned. What would you tell someone that is experiencing that, how to, to work through those emotions?
2: Well, one of the most powerful experiences people can have and that they've reported to me is that they... um. You know they notice how critical they are, and then what I do is encourage them to shift their focus. So instead of looking at themselves as the object of their criticism, looking in the mirror, finding things wrong, shift your focus and think of yourself as the recipient of those critiques, and see if you can see that in your eyes. Because sometimes people can see like a, like behind their their their. Critiques and oftentimes our eyes can become kind of of sharp and piercing as we look, you know, scrutinize ourselves and just to soften your gaze and then to look with the intention of seeing how those criticisms are affecting you. And oftentimes that's where a lot of people's sadness comes from, and, and they also try to avoid that, that that feeling of sadness. They think, if well, if they just keep going and improving, and lose a few pounds, and you know, do do something their hair differently or dress differently or something that you know, then then when they look in the mirror, they're going to feel great about themselves and everything's going to be fine. Uh, but but it's much easier and it's much more practical and doable to just shift your focus. To you know, the person who you're criticizing, you, you're criticizing yourself. No one's there. You know, maybe you have voices from you know your past of people who've criticized things about you, but they're not there now. It's just you in the mirror, so you get to decide what kind of relationship you want to have.
1: You know, they say our eyes are the windows to the soul, and so I'm thinking I've done eye gazing things with with other people, and it's so powerful. Where you just for five minutes gaze into someone else's eyes and i've done it with strangers really and it's like incredibly powerful so i'm feeling like doing that with ourselves is like we're looking deeply into our own souls or whatever you want to call it like this inner self and that alone is just going to bring up so much stuff and could just be so powerful
2: yes Definitely. Um, And there is some research that shows that mutual eye gazing um, uh, creates uh, um, changes in dopamine, dopamine release. And you can also have this effect when you look at yourself in the mirror. Once you get used to looking, uh, it can actually create a calming effect in you, as can eye gazing. So it can be very, very powerful. Absolutely.
1: I have so many questions. Um, One of them is, how can we do this and not develop a bit of a narcissistic personality. Like we're sitting there staring at ourselves in the mirror. It's kind of like the cliche narcissistic move.
2: Right, right. Well, when I was developing this idea and I thought about writing the book, one of the, one of my hesitations was I thought that it was going to get criticized for being, you know, promoting narcissism. I even joke about it in the TEDx talk I did. And um, I find that this is a little bit different than um, – uh, narcissistic mirror gazing. I do have a chapter on narcissism in the book, and I talk about both how, um, narcissism develops and how it's related to, um, mirror gazing and also some of the neuroscience in terms of what's, what happens in the brain of narcissists versus non-narcissistic people when they look in the mirror. So there's a lot of really fascinating research on, on that. Um, and basically, um, Narcissists can get stuck really looking at their external appearance and their image. And this technique of mirror meditation invites people to go deeper and into into, um, uh, going deeper into their emotions and learning to tolerate uh, more of their negative and more vulnerable emotions. And it also um, helps people to create more compassion for themselves and then for other people, because there's something about the practice of being present with no agenda and being open to listening. uh, When you practice that with yourself, it's much easier to do that than when you're in relationship to other people. You know, one of the things about narcissism or even just people who they crave attention. You know, we all know people who really crave attention and one of the things that I recommend is just give yourself some attention, you know? Go sit with yourself rather than expecting everyone else to reflect you and tell you how great you are or affirm some aspect of your identity that you're, you're not feeling sure about. These are things that you can do for yourself. And if you get good at knowing yourself, then you're much less vulnerable to the criticisms of other people and you're not dependent on people who might not have accurate reflections of you, who might have their own agenda of who they think you are. So they're constantly telling you about those aspects of yourself, which may or may not be true. So having that kind of a relationship with yourself actually will make you a better relationship partner and it will help you to be more resilient against uh, various criticisms and inaccurate reflections, people who criticize and, you know, we can get under your skin and, and you have the tool, your mere meditation is a tool to check it out and to see is that really a valid criticism of me or is that coming from a place of projection or another person's agenda? So there's really quite a bit we can do with the mirror. And there are tons of exercises in my book about how to, um, you know, unpack all this too. So I hope that your listeners will get the book and, and try out some of the exercises in it.
1: I want to ask you some of the questions we can ask ourselves when Trying to distinguish between something that might be a valid criticism or something that someone's just projecting onto ourselves because someone's listening to this. They're, they're trying to improve themselves, improve their relationships. And we get feedback all the time from the people in our lives and some of it's valid and some may not be. And right. to me, that's the real maybe challenge or difficulty is. Just one having that self-awareness is a huge thing some people aren't even there, but then two distinguishing between something that's actually valid and something that maybe it's more about that other person than ourselves
2: right right that is so important to be able to do that for ourselves and um well what I recommend uh, one of, one of the many different uh, techniques that that are in the book one of them is to really feel into your body so as you do. Uh, the mirror meditation, you want to do some grounding exercises. So you do some deep breathing exercises, three-part breathing, uh, and then do like a little bit of a progressive relaxation. So you're relaxing your body in a meditation posture, and then you gaze at yourself softly. And one of the things you can do too is if there are words that people are using to describe you, once you're in this relaxed state and you make a positive connection with yourself through the mirror, um, Think about saying these things aloud to yourself, and seeing both how how your face might change, how your breathing changes, tension in your body. How does that land in your body as you look at yourself and you say, "You are," you know, if someone says, "You know, you are selfish," "You are uh, um, incompetent," "You are uh, not very attractive," or whatever it is that people are saying. Um, see what that feels like when you say it to yourself in the mirror and that can give you the time and space to, you know, process your emotional reaction that you might not have had time to in the moment when someone, you know, said something to you that kind of, uh, was unsettling. Uh, so you have some, so the mirror meditation, if you do the practice regularly too, it, it creates, some. Um, uh, like a private space for you to process your emotions. So you know that you always have those 10 minutes that you set aside every day to go and just be with yourself and feel your feelings and without needing to worry about anybody's judgments or anybody's feedback or Whatever. And you can even set a timer if you're worried you're going to get lost in the mirror or, you know, your emotions are going to get too out of control Just set a timer and say, hey, I'm going to sit in front of the mirror and I'm just going to freak out or I'm going to be sad about the fact that this person said this to me or I'm going to I'm going to let myself really feel the really let that comment land in me while I look at myself in the mirror and see how I feel about it. Do I feel hurt? And what's what's underneath the hurt? Is it valid? Is it like I trust this person less? Is it, you know, uh, you know, what feelings come up for me around this particular reflection that I got from this other person?
0: Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Do you want to know one of my favorite meals? It's a slice of toasted bread with tomato, mozzarella, basil, olive oil, salt and pepper, and a little drizzle of balsamic glaze. Makes my heart happy. It's so simple. It's so delicious. And I love that all the ingredients get to show off their individual flavors. I used to eat it all the time as my easy go-to meal. And then all of a sudden, there was a ton of messaging out there telling me that I shouldn't eat carbs and that I shouldn't eat bread and that bread is bad. And I hate to admit it, but I cut out bread entirely for the longest time. And it wasn't until recently that I started to understand that not all bread is created equal. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on our website.
1: One of the things that I'm thinking about just visualizing this practice is, you know, in meditation, it's that we want to observe our, our thoughts, right? And then we're, we're trying to, to not be attached to them and we're observing them. And it's all very much in our heads in a sense. But if we're incorporating this visual aspect, it's like we're observing our thoughts in our head, but but now we're seeing them, as you said, like in our face, how they're actually coming out. Am I on the right track here? And is this kind of what the neuroscience is suggesting that it's it's powerful to to be able to actually see that?
2: Yes, yes. You're definitely on the on the right track. Yes, because well There are all kinds of processes that go on. I mean, one thing is that we often, um, we learn how to show our emotions to others through um, social display rules. So generally we're taught to not show certain emotions, certain so-called negative emotions, like um, anger, fear, and sadness, basically, and also disgust. So we socialized out of, of expressing those emotions directly. And then we're also not reflected When other people, when we have those emotions, because other people will tend to look away or avoid us, right? If we're sad or if we're angry or feeling disgusted or or, or afraid, oftentimes people won't look directly at us and give us feedback that we're feeling that way. So many people, when they're feeling these emotions, they can oftentimes feel almost lost. And this can go back to earlier experience when, you know, maybe parents ignored nor children or they weren't comfortable with with their emotions, so children didn't so as a child people didn't get a accurate reflection or enough reflection to integrate those emotions, so the mirror can be kind of remedial for that, so you know and, and you and you may also have people in your life who they don't want they don't want to see you angry. They don't want to see you sad. They want to see you happy and smiling and having a good time. And that's not because they're mean, it's because they love you and they want they want you to be happy. So to process those negative feelings with them, uh it can be very tricky because it sets off feelings in them and you know, it can get very complicated because then they have judgments about you and of what you're feeling and they might even try to tell you you shouldn't feel that way, all kinds of things. But when it's just you in the mirror, If you want to, you can get pretty, pretty raw and intimate with yourself in terms of how you're really feeling, you know, um, in ways that you might not want to show other people and in ways that we generally don't um, uh, have outlets for uh, unless we have a, uh, you know, a, a very, very Uh, intimate relationship where we feel like we can share every emotion and, and every nuance of everything. And I don't know that anybody has that. I think everybody wants that, but I don't know that anybody actually has that.
1: One of the other benefits that you mentioned for, for this process is inability to shift states of self-awareness to help manage anxiety. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Sure. One of the things that we notice when we when we look in the mirror is there are different perspectives that we can take. So the one that I've been talking about the most is looking inside, using the mirror to look inside, to look at your emotions, to look deeply in your eyes, and to really be open to listening to what's what's going on inside. But many of us are are trained, and all of us are are socialized, and many people just have the reflex to uh, take an take an an external, um, Uh, perspective, which is um, using the mirror as a way to see how we look to other people. So this is the classic, you know, spinach check before you go out and, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror before you go out because you want to see how you look to other people. And so then the natural habit is to scrutinize that, that appearance and to, you know, fix things to make sure that we're as good as possible when we look in the mirror Um, and we can get stuck there just using ourselves, looking at ourselves as though we're an object. It's actually called self-objectification in psychology, where we see ourselves as an image that can be improved and that can be changed and shifted, but we don't really focus on our actual feelings. So one of the ways that we can oftentimes become anxious is if we start to worry too much about what we look like to other people. So we're taking that external perspective. So one example I give for instance is if you're a skier and you're skiing down the hill, you want to have your attention focused outward on the task at hand, which is skiing. If you shift your focus either to think about, Oh, I'm so nervous to be skiing down this hill. I hope it's going to be okay. And your whole running critique about that, uh, your performance is going to suffer as we know from the, the um, research literature on choking behavior and how self-consciousness can affect um, public public performances or athletic performances or or any, any kind of stage performance. Um, But we can also take the perspective of the audience and think like, I wonder if the people, if, if people think I look fat in my ski suit, you know, as we're going down the Hill, we're going to just run right into a tree. So there's a lot of research that shows that women tend to self objectify more than men and they do. So, um, throughout the day, uh, and we we're bombarded with all these images about what women should look like and, 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 um, you know, just the visual aspect of women in our culture. And I mean, it's true for men too. It's not exclusive to women, but the research really shows that when you're taking that self objectifying perspective, you're going to be more anxious, and you're also going to um, be less aware of internal cues. So internal cues such as, uh, you know, again, like you get criticism that 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 isn't that doesn't land with you, but if you're if you're not really attuned to yourself, you might not know how to discern the accuracy of the feedback you're getting. Uh, And it also interrupts uh, thought processes. So again, like that example of the skier, it's not possible to think about how you look in yourself at the same time that you're focused on tasks at hand. So um, one of the studies shows that, you know, if you give uh, young women uh, fashion magazines uh, and then you ask them to do some kind of an academic task, they won't do as well because their focus shifts to what they look like doing the task instead of the task at hand. So We need all these perspectives. We need to know how we look to other people. We need to know what's happening to us internally as we interact with other people. And we need to focus on tasks at hand. So it's important for people to know that they have um, uh, control over where they put their focus. So when people are feeling anxious and they're self-focused, I encourage them to to put their focus out on other people, not on what other people think of them because that's still self-focused but how are other people feeling? You know, there's an old technique when you're giving a uh, speech, you find one person in the audience and you just talk to that one person. So it's taking your attention off yourself onto the other person. And so this works, you know, when you're put on the spot, someone puts you on the spot and tries to embarrass you, just shift your focus back to them and be like, why did you say that? Or, you know, uh, shifting shifting to ask them a question that puts them a little bit off kilter. If you're in a situation, you know, where someone is intentionally making you feel self-conscious and you can just do it more gently too when people are, uh, you know, when you're in a situation you're starting to feel self-conscious. Ask somebody else an, an interested question and take the focus off yourself.
1: One of the things that came up for me Throughout this conversation is as a child, I was a bit obsessed with how I looked. I don't know where exactly it came from. My mom would always like dress us before school and would like gel our hair and it was perfect. And I think it was a combination of like her doing that. And it was all good intentions, but it created this really self objectification. I'd be looking in the mirror if my hair was messed up, if I got dirt on my clothes or shoes, it really bothered me. And I think I'm still like trying to process through that stuff. I don't really hardly ever look in the mirror now, but I have a a seven-year-old daughter and it's something I think about with her. And She's just recently in the last year started kind of, she's dressing herself for school. We want to give her that autonomy and independence and she's looking at herself in the mirror and it's kind of cute. And I, you know, she's, she's making sure everything's right, but I don't want her to feel self conscious for, for how she looks. So there's a lot there, but what are some things I think it'd be valuable when a processing what I went through with my childhood. If we do it through the lens of like, what are some things that I could tell Stella, uh, Sarah, and I's seven-year-old about that? Like when she's looking at herself in order to not self-objectify.
2: Yeah, there's a lot there. It's it's an interesting process. I mean, there there's lots of. I had lots of thoughts as you were as you were describing that the situation. I would say the, one of the first things I would say, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but just in general, is to to not shame uh, children for their natural curiosity to look at themselves, to want to, to want to, you know, make faces or to explore, to play dress ups or pretend like they're glamorous or, or whatever. Um, Because that's part of play. It's part of play as a child. And um, I would just say too, to just, to balance that with um, shifting her focus to her other qualities like she's a great problem solver. She's a great storyteller. She's a wonderful, you know, artist. So that, so that she sees value um, in her abilities uh, and, you know, uh, maybe her quality of her friendships or, or, you know, that she does some nice things for other people or, or things that you want to amplify about her character that aren't appearance related is always good. But, we do live in a culture where women's appearance matters, and there's um, some evolutionary basis for that as well so I don't think we're ever going to get away from um, the idea that that women's appearance matters to them and and women often get a lot of pleasure out of their appearance and wanting to dress. We uh, in clothes that make them feel good and look good, and wear makeup that makes them feel good and look good. And as long as they're doing that from a sense of pleasure and and feeling that that that's that they're not doing it for somebody else, or they feel like they have to be this perfect way, or they're not going to be accepted, um, I think I think that it's fine. I think it's natural. But again, balancing it with those. Um, Uh, other kinds of qualities in her character that you love so much and that you want to support her in developing as she grows.
1: That's super valuable. Yeah. Could you speak maybe to Little Chase and maybe our listeners out there who relate to that? Maybe growing up, having as many people I'm sure do, especially through teenage years, you're developing your self-identity and how that can show up later in adulthood, like that self-consciousness around looks.
0: Money is one of the biggest stressors in relationships. While worrying about it doesn't help a ton, Earning actually does. Our sponsor, Earnin, is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 pay period max and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Hey, Love Tribe. I have just a few questions for you. I want to know why you are here listening to the podcast. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner? And you want to feel truly heard or are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner or do you just long for those fun giggly moments of connection that you used to have at the beginning of your relationship? Well, over the last decade of hosting this podcast, those were the main reasons people tuned into the show and we get it. We've been there. So we created our course, Spark My Relationship, because we wanted to put those tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. We're offering $100 off our course, Spark My Relationship, which is a self-paced course designed to help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a strong stronger, more intimate connection with your partner and have an amazing time doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. So to unlock this special offer of our course, our listeners can visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock to get $100 off. That's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock.
2: Yes. Yes. I can really relate to your story um, too. I, I talk a little bit about my own story in the book and that was um, I was adopted and I was told um, growing up that I was chosen to be adopted because I had um, uh Uh, My parents wanted a a girl with blonde hair and blue eyes, and when they saw me, they knew I was the one. And so, as as a small child, I I felt as though you know my parents had. I, I imagine my parents like going to a baby store with a shopping cart and looking around at the babies in the store and finding me on the you know on the shelf, usually the top shelf, taking me down from the from the shelf and you know putting me in the shopping cart and taking me through the checkout and taking me home. I really believed that when I was a kid that I thought that. The reason I was adopted was because of my appearance. You know, and my my given name was Barbara, so people call me Barbie as I was growing up, so no pressure at all, you wow. know
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right,
2: you know, and so working through a lot of that, you know because of course, too, you know, as a teenager, I you know had uh, most of my early relationships were all about uh with boys who liked my appearance, and then they projected all kinds of things about who they thought I w- was based on my appearance. So that's been a whole process and certainly now as many, many years later as now I deal with uh, more age-related appearance issues, uh, you, know, you know, it's always something where, where people have uh, society in general and then people take on these certain beliefs that you are a certain way because of the way you look. You know the way people treat me now as a older adult versus you know when I was a teenage girl, I'm the same person. My appearance has changed. um but my and my inner and you know, I've developed more. but you know, I'm the same person. And so I think too, as time goes by, and as you probably, you know, have this experience yourself as you, you know, from a teenage boy to, you know, uh, uh, being an adult and then being a father, your appearance changes, your your image of yourself changes, and, you know, you develop more character, more 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 internal qualities that you really want to have the people in your life reflect to you. You don't just want to you know, be with someone who thinks you're handsome. You want to be with someone who thinks you're a wonderful person in every possible way or all the ways that matter to you. So that those kinds of compliments or, or those kinds of maybe affirmations that we give ourselves, if we think we look good in the mirror, they're kind of shallow is probably the wrong word to, to use in this context, but I think they're not as valuable as The reflections we get about our character and our ability to be a good partner, good mother, good father, you know, um, show up for people, um, you know, make people laugh, you know, do nice things, you know, for others or or, you know, accomplish great things. It's life is so much richer than just what we look like. It's just the tip of the
1: iceberg of who we all are. And these mirror meditation practices can certainly help us dive into that in, in so many different ways. I think we covered quite a bit here, but we would need a lot more time to just really thoroughly cover all this. And that's why I'm excited to read the book and encourage our listeners to as well. So thank you so much, Tara, for sharing all of this stuff. Before we wrap up, are there any things that you want to emphasize or maybe something that we skipped over that you can leave our listeners with and then we'll say goodbye. Okay.
2: Yeah, let's see. Um, well, I know your podcast is about relationships. And I, I did want to say that there's a, a whole um, section of the book with several chapters on relating to others. And I have some great um uh, mutual eye gazing uh, exercises in there and also how you can use the mirror with a partner to um, do different explorations with with a partner. It can be a friend or a romantic partner or, or uh, you know, your, your spouse. Um, and so there are lots of ways that we can use mirrors in relationship to other people. Uh, and um, it can be just very, very powerful to Take the time to really see other people and be, and be seen by them. It's such a powerful experience that we oftentimes skip over and we get right to the conversation or get right to the small talk or get right to the task at hand. But taking time to really look at people and letting yourself be seen is really something that can uh, transform your relationships.
1: Yeah, it's super powerful. Like I said, the the eye gazing stuff that I've done with strangers and, you know, not even a partner brought up a lot. So I'm excited to read about the partner eye gazing practices and start my own mirror meditation. So thank you so much, Tara. Can you tell our listeners where they can find more about you, find out about the book online, and then we'll say goodbye.
2: Sure. Well, you can easily just Google my name, Tara Well, no S at the end. And I also have a website, com, where you can find the book, more information about it, and also some um, uh, media pieces. I have a Psychology Today blog called The Clarity, uh, in which I... um, Post uh, uh, regular um, blogs on um, uh, different aspects of mere meditation and reflections. That has, I think, now it has over 1.6 million readers. So it's definitely, um, I think, struck a chord with some people. I've gotten some great feedback on it that it's been helpful. So I'm really happy about that. And the book seems to be doing well too. So I hope your listeners will get a copy of the book. And you can always contact me. My contact information is on my website. I'd be happy to answer your questions on your, on your, and hear about your experiences with your own mirror meditation practice.
1: Excellent. Well, we will have those links in our show notes and on our website at idopodcast.com. And thanks again for taking the time to come on the show.
2: Thank you, Chase. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: with your partner, or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day.
1: You are listening to a pleasure podcast.